Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, May 30th. Happy Memorial Day. And for this Media Monday, John Kelly and I talk about the deep state Jeff Zucker loyalists inside CNN who have it out for the new president, Chris Licht. And also we'll talk about Substack. Are they a media company or a software platform? We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. And I know it's a holiday, but that doesn't mean it's not Media Monday, does it, John? (laughs) There's never a holiday for Media Monday. Peter, you are the hardest working man in media. (laughs) Um, The hardest working man in media is actually Dylan Byers, who was our media reporter. And as we like to do on the show is steal his reporting and chew on it without him. He's the source material for for Media Monday. That's why we we like to keep him booked on Wednesdays or Thursdays. (laughs) For anyone listening who uh, thought I would be talking to anyone else named John Kelly uh, on a Media Monday, John is indeed John Kelly, who is uh, our fearless leader here at Puck. Anyway, uh, Dylan published a piece uh, late last week called First Licks. Who writes the headlines, by the way? We pass around the baton, but uh, <laughs> but that was my work. You guys are so good at headlines. Anyway, First Licks, uh, in reference to the new president of CNN, Chris Licked, after the terrible shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Last week, um, Dylan writes that a lot of people inside CNN were sort of pining for the days of Jeff Zucker. And that means that in the Jeff Zucker era, supposedly, CNN would have broken into coverage immediately, gone all in, covered the shit out of this story, sent their reporters to the ground. And, you know, apparently, according to some uh, complainers inside CNN who are apparently addicted to Jeff Zucker, and need to go to therapy. CNN did not do that uh, fast enough after the Uvalde shooting. Um, I kind of feel like this is a stupid complaint on the part of some of these CNN insiders. Like, what's going on here, John? Like, why? Are these just people who are like loyal to Jeff who are trying to knife Chris Licht in, in any way they can? There's de- That's definitely a piece of it. I think that there is certainly a cohort inside CNN of obviously you know pretty senior people who are incredibly loyal to Jeff Zucker and who also have sort of drank that the Zucker era Kool-Aid, you know, of uh, what breaking news should look like, which is coming in immediately. You can't miss a a minute or two. And the high drama cadence, lower third writing that (laughs) that defined that era. But I think this is just the latest indication of, of two things, really. One is why CNN is here and why it matters. That in these breaking news events, these tra- horrific tragedies like Uvalde, mm-hmm. the instinct people have is to turn on CNN. It, it is. And I think in a post-Trump era, we, we see how powerful the network's brand can still be. It is a trusted brand. I, I watched Don Lemon a, a fair bit last week, which I haven't done in a long time because I knew he'd be on the ground in, in Uvalde. What this also manifests, obviously, is the profound paranoia and anxiety that exists inside CNN as you know, people are, are sort of blaming Licht for not being, you know, not breaking in earlier and, and not going all in. I don't know what he did, could have done differently, maybe broken in a few minutes earlier and, and changed some of the language. He certainly hand-selected a number of anchors to go down there. But the fact that Licht isn't in the middle of the newsroom like Zucker used to be 
is a hint that he's probably somewhere in an executive conference room with TVs blaring, making some serious personnel and strategic decisions. And I think that yeah. in their heart of hearts, in the inner sanctum sanctorum of CNN, there are a number of people who realize that they're being evaluated right now and that the makeup of the network, both editorially and personnel-wise, is going to be different. This is a very good point you make. Chris Licht is still new in this job. A month. It's less than a month here. It's, it's, it's May 30th. This is day 30 for, for Chris Licht. I mean, this is very, very early. He is taking over this network. He is evaluating budgets, talent, producers. There's a big cultural learning curve to taking over a new job at the top. And he's not going to be as involved every second as Jeff Zucker was in his like fifth year at CNN. Like, so it's, it's a dumb complaint in my mind. Two, and Dylan writes about this in his piece, basically the shooting happened right before four o'clock Eastern time. CNN's Ed Lavandera, by the way, fucking awesome dude, great reporter based in Texas. Like anytime you need like a reality check on like the national consensus, like go to Ed Lavandera who talks to real people in Texas. Like he's such a good reporter. He goes live right before four. Jake Tapper comes on at four opens his show with a 10-minute segment on the primaries uh, in Georgia that day. And then they went right back to Texas, then went to a segment on Ukraine, then went to the foiled ISIS plot to assassinate George W. Bush, then Biden on Taiwan. And then at 4.40 p.m., they kind of they went back to Ed Lavendera in Texas covering the shooting and basically went breaking news coverage the rest of the day. So, so basically, like, these CNN insiders are complaining that Chris Lick didn't call the control room, didn't jump in at the beginning of Tapper's show and say, hey, we need to go all in on this. Instead, like 30 minutes passed, 30 minutes before CNN went and all in on breaking news coverage, which they did. And like only people with like extreme brain poison think that anyone gives a shit if you went live at 410 versus 440 on this stuff. Now, Having worked at CNN, I don't know if they still do this. At the time, they had this thing called Minute by Minutes, where they would track the ratings for every minute. Every executive, every EP at CNN has Fox and MSNBC on in their control rooms. They're looking at what other networks are doing. And the thinking is like, if you don't get to this story first, someone will turn on CNN or Fox and stick with them the rest of the day, and you have missed your window to capture their attention. It's just like a very narrow-minded argument. It's also four o'clock in the afternoon. A lot of people are working and not paying attention to CNN. And they did go all in. They sent Anderson Cooper down there. Their coverage has been really good, really moving. They have tons of reporters on the ground, tons of affiliates covering this stuff. Again, if you are still mourning Jeff Zucker and like sniping to Dylan about how Chris Licht is like leading from behind, like you need therapy. I'm sorry. End of <laughs> you, rant. No, you're, you're right, though. You're talking about basically a window of maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I don't know the exact timestamp on when this horrific tragedy became national news. It is a real paranoia. I mean, I actually sort of expressed that point to Dylan when he was in the throes of, of reporting this out. These were legitly felt gripes coming from people who were completely sincere in their criticism and were completely sincere in their belief that Jeff Zucker would have done it differently. So it, it just tells you what's really going on there. This lick transition is going to be a lot more complicated than anyone could have previously expected. You almost have to wonder if Lick is keeping tabs about who he thinks is going to be loyal to him and, and who isn't. He's a canny operator, I will say that. And one more thing before we go to break. 
if you are a Jeff Zucker dead ender and think that he is the first cable news executive in history to like want to go all in on a story and send correspondence to Texas and go into breaking news coverage immediately, you must have joined CNN during Jeff Zucker's time because having been there before Jeff Zucker, they did the same thing. Every cable news person has done the same thing for decades. It's not like a great talent or like some measure of great instincts to be like, we got to go all in on this, Jake. Like, let's go live. Like, literally shut up. <laughs> anyway, I want to take a quick break, John, and then come back and talk to you about a media company with an entirely different business model than CNN, which is Substack. All right, John, I want to talk to you about something you know a little bit about, which is emerging business models on the internet. There was a piece in the New York Times last week about Substack, and essentially in this period of economic penny-pinching that we're in, Substack is trying to make some pivots. What are they trying to do? There was a story in the Times last week that certainly matriculated through a lot of inboxes, and including, I'm sure, many of the people who are listening to this show. The story was ostensibly about how Substack, which is a a software platform for newsletter writing and has raised a lot of money, was trying to raise another round of about 75 to $100 million. And then it ended up pulling the plug and deciding that they didn't want to raise that cash at a valuation that was estimated to be somewhere between 750 and a billion dollars. So Substack isn't moving forward. And I think this triggered a lot of people. And I don't view Substack as a puck competitor. I don't think those guys view us as a competitor. But it says a lot about where media is going to me. You know, Substack is made quite a name for itself. In fact, I think you could say credibly that like Substack is almost like Xerox now. Like there's such a thing as a Substack or a Substack. You use that word to, to almost refer to once, what you once called a freelance writer, you know, or, or an independent journalist or someone who is, you know, maybe would have once been writing books, but is now writing weekly newsletters. And they have a ton of very, very successful people on the platform like Matt Iglesias and Glenn Greenwald. And I think Heather Cox Richardson, who's the uh, professor who has like a, you know, a million subscribers. And Substack is, to be sure, a SaaS platform. It, it's a technology that allows these creators to create. And they've raised a lot of money as a SaaS platform. What's interesting to me, I suppose, is that the media had considered Substack to be a media company to a degree that I think actually Substack was uncomfortable with. And that's probably why, why the Times was poking around this story that as a media company, this would have been a, a significant valuation. You know, a billion dollars is what Politico sold mm -hmm. for. But for a software as a service company, you know, where the revenue multiples, you know, can you can trade it maybe 40 or 50 times revenue, then that's not as surprising. So I imagine some of our Media Monday listeners are hoping for like a rap battle here where one of the Puck co-founders uh, says something antagonistic to Substack against you know, Substack. But I don't feel the way. I think that this is actually a sort of awakening for the media for how to think about Substack, that media coverage is often journalism coverage, I find. But in reality, mm -hmm. Substack has been revealed to be a, a software company more than a media company. This is why you're able to give TED Talks on this topic because it's something I don't understand. All things being equal, what would be more valuable? Like what would VC people want to put more money into? A media company or a software company? A software company by an arm and a leg. For a couple of reasons. Software is less human intensive, requires less human capital. Media requires on the ingenuity of brilliant people like you. I mean, in all seriousness, you, you, you need people to make, to make the product. 
you know, the most famous SaaS company in history is probably, you know, Microsoft Office, which just gets slightly updated year after year and gets sent out to gajillions of people, which is valuable because that's annual recurring revenue for this company within some ways, you know, minimal cost other than obviously engineers, which are incredibly expensive. But that's why so many companies in Silicon Valley want to be SaaS companies rather than media companies because the trading value is so much more significant. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I um, went to Obama's disinformation conference at Stanford in Palo Alto. And I sat down in like the one of the front rows or whatever because like I was I was on a panel. So I got like good seats um, talking about like digital media stuff. And I sat next to these two dudes who were like our age, just a couple of white dudes, found out this guy Hamish and this guy Chris and Chris <laughs> and I were on a panel together. And I was like, what do you guys do? <laughs> like, funny. I had no idea. And they were like, oh, we founded this like, you know, newsletter platform. It's called Substack. I was like, oh, <laughs> Substack. like it was, it was such like a low key. Like I met these like big founders and they were just like a couple guys sitting next to me. They were super nice. I enjoyed them. It was just like, I felt embarrassed because I didn't know. <laughs> That's funny. But they were really nice to me. Uh, I bet they are nice. And you know, to our previous point about how the, the sort of media can look in, into any story and, and see itself. I think that what Substack actually has provided has been incredibly valuable. It was a jumping off point for so many journalists to realize that there was life beyond a newsroom. And I think that the company deserves a, t a ton of credit for signaling that that kind of creative risk could be rewarded and it will continue to be a, a valuable platform. But my suspicion is actually that Substack is probably leaning towards a future as a SaaS play. And I imagine that when you think about the suite of tools that you have available to you on your computer, the ability to write a newsletter will be available within your, your suite of email functions. Yeah, I mean, no one's more well-positioned than they are to get there first. All right, John, um, happy Memorial Day. Hopefully you, hopefully you can uh, inhale a few hot dogs today. Thanks, Peter. Um, let's go Reds. <laughs> they suck. All right, <laughs> bye. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.